Ja, die Wehrpokazugidiarakisimuyut. And welcome to Shift F1, a podcast about speedy race cars. That is Russian for I'm going to show you where lobsters spend the winter. Oh, my God. <laughs> Please don't. <laughs> Which I guess is like, it's like an abstract threat. It's like, or else. Okay, because nobody wants uh, to see that. Because is that just like I'm sending you to Siberia? Maybe. Lobster Siberia. And if internet fanfic is to be believed, there are similar simmering tensions between our two championship rivals. Wow. Uh, I'm Drew Scanlon. That is Danny O'Dwyer. How are you, Danny? I'm uh, Now I want lobster. And it's the morning. So that would be a particularly <laughs> peculiar breakfast. But here we are. Uh, also joining us for this F1 breakfast, Rob Zachney. How are you, Rob? I'm just racking my brains over exactly where lobsters do spend their winters. <laughs> Aspen. They, maybe they think, travel to Sochi Autodrome. <laughs> maybe uh, they've got a they've got a dacha there. Uh, if you are new to this podcast, welcome. And if you're new to Formula One itself, hey, we've got an episode just for you. Our preseason primer assumes no prior F1 knowledge and explains how the sport works and who everybody is. So if you want to go back and listen to that, it's episode 137. Also, the show is supported entirely by our audience over at patreon.com slash shiftf1, where every month we release bonus podcasts and videos exclusively for our patrons that cover racing documentaries and films, F1 video games, experiments with other racing series, and a lot of weird things. So if you'd like to support the show and get access to all that fun stuff, uh, head over to patreon.com slash shiftf1 or click the link in the show notes. What's going on this month, Danny? Uh, we are recording, I believe, tomorrow our uh, monthly exclusive podcast. This one all about the recent Netflix movie documentary, Schumacher, who is about a, it's about a relatively un- unknown, <laughs> less known Formula <laughs> One driver. Um, father, actually, of Mick Schumacher, would you believe? He's, he's actually racing royalty. Um Yes, I suspect many of you have already watched it. Uh, we're probably not going to talk about it too much today. Maybe it'll come up, I don't know. But we'll have our, our full review and thoughts on the Schumacher documentary for patrons up uh, pretty soon. And of course, our wonderful, our wonderful podcast. Our podcast is wonderfully sponsored by our uh, by all the names that are written on the side of our car. Uh, names like Jason <laughs> Kelly, Will Rumpf, Umberto Roca, Troy Stammer, Circa Demon, Reagan, Sam G, Connor McManners, Joel Roberts, Abraham Getchell, Jason Chadwick, Abdullah Althani, Bailey Foot, BPM. They didn't update their thing this week. It still says Brilliant Papayas at Monza, which, you know, I guess that's kind of... I'm, st- I'm still jittering off that. Yeah, it was a good time. Um, Drew Stewart, Mo. Simon Villeneuve, Good Old Dog, David Mule, Joshua Hain, Tractor Share, Gnarly Goat, and of course, Veal Shanks. Thank you all so much for sponsoring this podcast. Well, from the names on the side to names in the cockpit, let's get to the nears. Let's do it. Uh, we got some driver news. Um, I mean, all the dominoes have, have fallen, but one. But one. Uh, Danny, who is in the picture for the last seat at Alfa Romeo? Yeah, it looks like Guan Yu Zhou is uh, the favorite for that second seat. Uh, everyone who has been watching F2 this year or last year, especially last year, will know that he was um, he's he's one of the folks in the in the running for the sort of, you know, we're kind of used to a little bit now, some of these younger drivers coming through, uh, popping up, you know, more directly from F2, or maybe we're just more aware of them because F2 is kind of getting a bit more visibility than it used to be. Um, but yeah, a couple of things about Guan Yu Zhou. 
He is a he's a uh, youngish chap, twenty two years old. Uh, he's part of the uh, Alpine Academy as well. Uh, he's currently second in the standings. Has won a, a race or two. And uh, Fred Vasseur talking in uh, the article on Autosport about how um, he might do a little bit better in the next coming races as they kind of come back to more traditional uh, uh, tr- uh, tracks. And uh, the other thing about Guan Yu Zhou, of course, is that he's Chinese, and that provides a, a pretty good. Um, resource for you know it's kind of like the having a brazilian driver thing you know what i mean like it's it's a, a big amount of uh populace for sponsorship opportunities and stuff uh, he's also uh, allied to some healthy backing from chinese sponsors according to this article as well uh, sources have suggested that a deal is all but agreed uh, but now it just needs to be signed off so we may see guan yu Zhou in f1 next year and we may be hearing about it sooner rather than later and as you said drew it is the final domino to be uh, toppled down at this stage um a lot of them fell actually it was kind of a bit of a crazy silly season this year yeah and i <laughs> i guess we should also state that uh antonio giovanazzi is currently sitting in that seat um but it has not been uh confirmed whether he is keeping it and all the rumors are saying that uh, that he is not so um yeah for- formula two you know still continuing to be a um you know a, a farm team for formula one it seems uh and a couple more just uh news are items here about driver moves that have already happened as we mentioned in last week's episode um alex albon will be pairing nicholas latifi at williams for next year as george russell moves to mercedes um which was uh it was we weren't really sure how that was going to work because alex albon was a red bull driver and Williams is pretty closely aligned with Mercedes, there being a uh, Mercedes engine in the back and Total Wolf like owns part of the company or something, or he did, I don't know. Um, <laughs> uh, so how is that going to work? Well, I if uh, this article on Formula1.com is to be believed, which I have no reason to believe that it shouldn't, uh, Albon has been released from Red Bull, but according to Red Bull team principal Christian Horner, um, they retain an option on him in 2023. Horner says he was effectively out of contract at the end of next year anyway. So basically what we've done is speed that process up and secure future options on him. He retains a link to Red Bull and we would have an option on his services should they be required in 2023. So they so, own his soul is what it sounds like. <laughs> Helmut Marco has got to eat something and... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, the Horcrux right of Alexander Albon is what he'll be feeding on for the next while. It's interesting. I, I, when he signed up, I remember reading the quote, trying to like piece apart, "Are you still a Red Bull driver or not?" And I couldn't mm-hmm. really tell. It kind of sounded like maybe not, but maybe. So I guess this makes sense, uh, probably for all parties concerned as well. You know, everyone's kind of happy. There's a there's a backstop there if they need him in the future. Yeah, and uh, a couple more confirmations coming in uh, since the since our last episode. Uh, Rob, what's going on in Aston Martin? Yeah, no huge surprises there. Uh, they're basically sticking with their lineup of Sebastian Vettel and uh, Lance Stroll. Um, you know, Vettel, I think we, we've seen his performance has had its ups and downs, uh, but he seems to have been solid in that car. And, you know, if not for a really fluky issue with the... Uh, 
with the fuel in that car, he would have had a podium uh, in there. Uh, Sab said that, you know, one of the things that he's motivated about at this point in his career is just seeing, uh, quote, the new generation of Formula One cars, their look is very different, and the new technical regulations should give us cars that can race much more closely than recently. More exciting racing will be great for the drivers as well as for the fans. Uh, so it, it seems like Sab is going to give the new generation a, a hard look and see if that maybe restores his fortunes a bit and maybe restores some of that passion that certainly um, I felt sometimes has been a little bit AWOL uh, in his in his game of late. So, uh, But obviously there's a lot of reasons to want to keep him uh, in the fast-developing Aston Martin uh, program, which I guess brings us to another interesting uh, announcement that they had this week. Uh, they brought in uh, Martin Whitmarsh uh, to head up their to head up their operations. Um, so that's interesting because remember a couple weeks ago when we said um, they just broken ground on their new headquarters and they made a big weird big point about how it was going to be the like <laughs> exact opposite of the McLaren Technology Center. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so. <laughs> Fun fact about uh, Martin Whitmarsh, uh, to, as as he moves into uh, group chief executive officer at, at Aston, um, or Aston Performance, I guess I'd say. So he was for a long time uh, Ron Dennis's right hand man, co founder of the like McLaren Formula One team, and their partnership was enormously successful. Like you know, think about the the great. Uh, McLarens of uh, you know the the 80s and 90s. Um, Whitmarsh and Dennis are there for a lot of that. At a certain point, Dennis sort of uh, moved upstairs, and Whitmarsh came in to kind of uh, run day to day operations. And then Dennis fired him in 2014 and sort of seized control of the team again because he didn't like how things were going, uh, and he sort of felt that Whitmarsh was uh, screwing the pooch. And then. As we now know, McLaren went off a cliff and mm. uh, Ron Dennis was ousted by the shareholders. Zach Brown was brought in. Zach Brown has made a big deal about having spent laborious years on fucking what Ron Dennis did to that team. <laughs> so it's just interesting that when they built their uh, when they when they broke ground on their new facility, they were like, you know, what this isn't going to be. Ron Dennis's uh, monument to his own vanity. And then a week later, they hire uh, Martin Whitmarsh. And I do kind of wonder, um, is Aston Martin turning into the Martin Whitmarsh revenge machine? Uh, <laughs> which, which is interesting. Um, but obviously, he's a, he's a seasoned hand, and it does indicate it feels like this is also might be part of like Lawrence Stroll getting this thing primed for him to no longer be as quite as involved as he is right now like he's been we've seen pretty involved in like standing this new operation up you bring a guy like martin whitmarsh in you know you're sort of handing off to him now all the okay now actually design the company and build the cars uh so interesting times over at aston as they begin to look more and more like a uh, traditional and and very serious f1 team yeah, there's a quote uh, from him in this Autosport article that says, uh, Lawrence, meaning Aston Martin chairman Lawrence Stroll, uh, intends Aston Martin to win F1 World Championships. Um, and uh, uh, he actually, Stroll says in that same article, within the next four to five years is his goal. Wow. Um, 
Whitmarsh continues, uh, I would not have joined him in that endeavor unless I was utterly convinced that it was an entirely achievable aim. So yeah, they are they are putting down roots, they are pulling out stops. Um, this is going to be interesting. The thing is, <laughs> though, I, I do sometimes wonder when I see stories like this where it's like, Nobody's ever going to criticize you for bringing in, like, the old established name. Like, obviously, this guy was head of successful F1 operations for, for decades. But also, like, they were decades, and it was a while ago. You know what I mean? It's like it's yeah. like one of those things where there's a point where you're hiring more of a brand than necessarily who I would bring in to. You know what I mean? I would probably be looking for someone maybe a little younger and a little closer to, like, the uh, actual departments of a modern F1 team than an old hand. Uh, well, I'm, I'm sure he'll, he'll do fine. It'll be interesting to see how it plays out. But it does seem like, um, you know, we see this in every industry, right? Where, like, the same top-tier people just, like, go on a carousel of jobs yeah. and nobody, like, gets the shot at the big chair. I wonder where the, like, experience people... Like, because <laughs> there's such a limited amount of experience in f1 like full stop and then f2 and f3 i wonder is there like because the cars aren't you know they're more stock yeah and there's stuff, no way so that like, translates right yeah so like hmm. uh, where do you pull i'd love be very interested to know where, like some of these people even came from I mean, my guess like, would have people... to be technical departments at one at the big companies right like i gotta believe like if you work on uh like mercedes like mercedes power unit you already right. that is a company sized operation uh, within a company, like I gotta believe that's where you draw those people from. Because yeah, Dan, like I could, I could see someone like being good at like running an F two team and like that translating. But at the same time, as you put it, like it's about that scene in Rush where his buddy's telling him, like it turns out F one's a little more involved, and I miscalculated the cost. <laughs> and I think that's kind right, of true. Yeah. Like a Formula Two like team boss is like, all right, let's put that some bitch out there and go racing. <laughs> and I feel like in Formula One, it's a little bit more like. All right, now to meet the engineers, the scientists, and the shareholders uh, all in a row every morning. Yeah, I think it's um, it's Williams's uh, team principal right now. I, I don't know how to pronounce his name. I don't know if it's Jost Capito. Jost, Jost Capito? I think I think that's it. Um, he came from the World Rally Championship, I think. All right, uh, and so yeah, other other top tier racing series, I guess. Mr. Gunther maybe a better uh, call? is a uh, rally team principal as well i think there's a there's a weird like rally mafia in f1 right now now that you mention it because uh, i think like the guys running the show at alpine uh some of them have roots that go back to rally as well but and um uh moto gp as well all series where there's a lot of manufacturer programs uh that are yeah. pushing hard like moto gp and rally like you there's a lot of flagship operations where people develop a lot of that like advanced technical and corporate experience yeah it's funny, uh, isn't it? Like we're talking about the drivers, like the 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 lemon dance is over. The drivers are where they are. Almost, you know, all these like everyone's like setting up their army for battle. And next year, it's just going to be like the dice will roll, and we'll see where the numbers are. Right? Like we'll see pretty quick where all these teams are with the new cars. It's just it's it's it could be all for naught because they just they mess up the cars. What's like, terrifying so is if the last generation, this last era has taught us anything you don't really re retake that ground right like, yeah you can regain mm. some of it but you can't flip the table yeah yeah you can't yeah there's no like we're seeing you know ferraris had wave you know wavering 
you know, uh, results. But like the teams at the bottom have been kind of near the bottom, and you know, Haas joined them, I guess. This so it got worse for them. But yeah, Mercedes were just they never they got such a good start and never they never I'm, relinquished. I'm so excited for the new cars. Like, remember when um, there was some regulation change and everyone's noses all looked different the car every car's nose looked different like drastically different like caterham had that one that just <laughs> you should put a sensor bar over <laughs> um but uh I, I that's i think what i'm most excited about like people going like whoa you you did that that's what okay you did? yeah Whoa. Found cars back awesome yeah very looking forward to that um something else that may be different next year is uh, the the concept of the sprint. So we've mm. been trying the sprint. We're trying it three different times. We've tried it at Silverstone, uh, at Monza, and uh, one more time this year will be in Brazil. Um, Formula One's trying to figure out a way to uh, have more than just qualifying in the race uh, for exciting events that people will tune in on TV and go to watch in person. And so they, what they've come up with is the sprint, which is just like a, th- a third race distance a third of the normal race distance. No pit. Um, no pit. And the format's still fluid. There's there's one, you know, one thing that drivers apparently were concerned about, uh, according to F1's managing director of motorsport, Ross Braun, uh, that they brought up at Silverstone was the idea of making the sprint a standalone event. Because what, what happens is that you have the qualifying that sets the grid for the sprint, and then if you screw up in the sprint, like we saw Pierre Gasly go off into the wall, um, having Paris. qualified very high, yeah, and then he has to too. start the race at the back. Yeah, Paris yeah. as well. It's sprint, and it, it should be noted it is sprint qualifying currently. Right, because the way you finish the sprint is how you start the race. So having a standalone event uh, would mean that Friday qualifying would set the grid for both the sprint and the race. So that it doesn't really matter what happens in the sprint, except that you would maybe potentially get more points, championship points, than uh, than it awards now, which is currently three for the winner, then two, then one mm. for the rest of the podium. Isn't so, that super close to how Formula 2 has done things? Yeah. Yeah, they have uh, sprint races, two sprint races with lower points, but nowhere near as low. Like when Formula 1 brought in the sprint races, or sorry, sprint qualifying, I was kind of like taken aback by how few points you got. I was like, oh, I guess it's just to figure out the qualifying order mostly. And they're kind of giving a couple of points here and there. Um, But yeah, Formula 2 is like, you know, you win a sprint race. That's a good points haul. You win two of them. That's, that's, you know, you can take the, take Sunday off. (laughs) And they do, they do flip the top eight though. Yes. Right. Yeah, okay. yeah, they so invert the, the yeah. If you place eight in the in the, in the yeah. first one, you're you're first in the next one. So that's that's a good way of sort of shimming them up, which you need so, a little bit as well in the short races. Remember, you also had two of them. Pross this last week being like, if F one ever introduces reverse grid races, I'll kill myself or something like that. It's, <laughs> it's, it's all just, anyone ever wants. Yeah. Like like you know the amount of emails we get all the time saying like, here's an idea. Put Hamilton yeah. on the back. <laughs> yeah. This is this like, is the thing. Like I understand, like drivers are probably like, "Oh, this sucks," and that sprint race was not good. But I feel, Gasly, I feel bad for you, son. On the other hand, him being sort of taken out 
and not being there in that rate, like not being able to compete where he's supposed to and like having things set up that there could be a little more like action and charging through the field. It all worked like, cause ultimately the classic F1 races are all like some, like usually something fucked up the grid. Like mm-hmm. literally Monza, like it wasn't because of the sprint race, but the only reason that like a big part of the reason that race was interesting at all was that Bottas took the penalty and started from the back. If he started from the front, as he did when he won sprint qualifying, then like it just would have been another Mercedes processional with, a, you know, an interesting race for the podium positions. But it wasn't and because Hamilton didn't have a great start on race day, but he had nothing compared to the abysmal start he had uh, at the sprint race. Right. So, again, yes. like, there's, yes, like I understand, like, it, it's weird. The sprint race, you can evaluate it by itself as does it generate good racing. So far, the verdict is real mixed. Right. Silverstone yeah. was interesting on a restart, but it wasn't an interesting race. Um, Monza was boring. But the effect mm. they have on the actual Grand Prix gets real interesting. And if you take it as that sort of whole, you're like, mm. yeah, kombucha I, face. I, I, in these two I, points of <laughs> data, you know. Yeah, exactly. True. There's not enough, right? But I will say that the thing that has worried me the most from the start, probably because of the, the points haul and also because it sets up the main race, is that drivers would drive conservatively. And I didn't get the sense that they did in Silverson. I thought, oh, that was racier than I expected. Monza was the opposite. Monza felt like, oh, we're all pretty happy where we are, right? Okay, yeah, let's let's just chill out here a bit. Speaking of chilling out by the beach... <laughs> Let's take it to Sochi, Danny. Oh, can I, can I first... Uh, I've got one interesting quote from Roman Grosjean. Oh, that's right. I'm sorry. Quote. Please. Yeah, no, this is... Well, hey, look, we love all our children, even the ones that leave. You know, they, they fly the fly the coop, and then we, we never hear from them again. Uh, Roman Grosjean has been You mean the Phoenix? Tr- Wait, what? <laughs> is he a Phoenix? He's been calling himself the Phoenix. He's been calling himself the... Because he's... Oh, my God, because he... You're kidding me. Because he walked out of the flames. Oh, my mm-hmm. God. It's very good. <laughs> Do you feel Roman differently Grosjean. about the quote now? Did I ruin it? No, because that's who he is, right? Like, he, you're right. He is the Phoenix. He's somebody, or he's somebody who would call himself the Phoenix. That's who he is. And the man who walked through fire. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, Joan Pampliano, who is an internet Great businessman actor. who talks about sports yeah exactly um tweeted a quote uh, that was pulled from grosjean uh, where he talks about his experience in indycar having been an f1 driver for so long and it's interesting um this from grosjean i understand a lot of kids want to make it informative one if it's to be at the back of the grid every weekend i think you're better here uh, aka Indy. Um, it's the freedom of driving the car the way you like to drive it. You don't need to look after charging mode, push mode, tire temperature, tire window, so on and so on. You just get in the car, leave the pit lane, and then you push every single lap. You play a bit with your bars, but as I said, you push, 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 come in, pit, new tires. The ability to enjoy every single lap uh, that we do, enjoy the fact that you can be competitive in any team, and makes it, um, sorry, makes it that with the atmosphere in the paddock, obviously with the support of the fans, uh, been just the whole package that I've enjoyed a lot. So it's interesting, like, I, I don't know about you guys, but sometimes I think about F1 drivers going to other uh, racing series as like, <clears throat> oh, that must be disappointing. Like, you know, it's a step down. It's 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 a lesser skill. Um, but as we've seen from his results and his racecraft, and obviously from this quote, 
He's having a blast. My favorite one was that, remember, I think we talked about it in the podcast a couple of months back, where he talked about like how on the race weekends, all the drivers just have barbecues or like share tips. Uh-huh. <laughs> like he, so he's, it's like he seems to be really enjoying it. You know, it's like he was in like prep school his, or something. And then he went to the local like public high school and is having way more fun. His Instagram <laughs> this summer was just inspiring because his family came over and like spent a good portion of the se- the season with him. And so like he honestly went full normie tourist across <laughs> the United States <laughs> in a way that was just like impossibly endearing where it was like you'd have race it's day. like an RV, right? In an RV, yeah, but then they right. also did a ton of cycling. Like I think he and his wife uh, did like a cycling trip around some cities um, and just like doing all like the most tourist guidebook stuff possible um like he was like wow this arch in st louis is incredible you guys gotta <laughs> oh see my this God, thing i love it i love it and they're all He's so sincere <laughs> just like selfies and holding phone out two hands arm length like big smile it's great but i do think like because i watched a bit more indie this season i would have watched a lot more if um i remember to set my dvr uh the way i do with uh <laughs> and they've got a more inconsistent schedule uh and the youtube highlights are really good because they have extended highlights you can watch too which are you know that's like 20 minutes that's pretty that's a pretty good way of watching them but yeah it, it does feel like it turns less on things that are completely outside a driver's control like if you can just have dominant pace in an indie car the way you're rewarded for that is you don't burn through your push to pass. Remember you get like a hundred seconds, I think something like that of push to pass. Right. And so you end up like, you're still rewarded for turning those consistent laps, but in F1 you're rewarded because your tires don't like fall apart because the Pirelli's are spec'd out to kind of be shitty in Indy. That's not really what's going on. It's more just, you were able to save push to pass uh, for when you really need it. Whereas other drivers are using it to sort of like try to, maintain a grip on the field and that's actually really interesting it's a really interesting approach where you enter enter the final like 20 laps of a race and like everyone's pretty bunched up and the real shootout's going to be determined who can who has basically through their own like skill retain the most ammo in the clip i i also want to mention um because of course rob we are sitting here with a um storied uh, fundraiser and cyclist, Mr. Drew Scanlon, who is currently <laughs> raising an obscene amount of money uh, for his charity, uh, which he should talk about in a second. Uh, the um, connection to that, the segue to that, is a picture on Roman Grosjean's uh, Instagram account only six days ago uh, with a big smiley face on a bike somewhere in Northern California. Big smiley face saying, enjoying California, hashtag Cali. Hashtag the Phoenix. <laughs> Beautiful. Uh, because only six days ago, when did you do your 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 cycle, Drew? It was uh, this this past weekend. So okay. yeah, Saturday and Sunday. Might have uh, passed. Yeah, him. I, maybe if he was riding up uh, from um, San Francisco to beautiful Ronard Park in wine country. <laughs> uh, yeah, I was raising money for um, the National MS Society. Uh, through a cycling event called Bike MS Waves to Wine. Nice. Yeah. That, they, um, they had wine instead of water, was it? That's water stations, best just miracle. Wines. St- <laughs> 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 no, nah, loaves of fishes, man. Loaves of fishes was... The, the Claret Tsunami uh, is, is my favorite <laughs> incident, miracle in the Bible. Uh, but yeah, it went well. 
It did, yes. Um, I uh, put out a tweet and um, got a whole bunch of um, donations from around the internet. Also did a, a really fun video game live live stream with one Vinny Caravella. That was a lot of where fun. We, we flew airplane, virtual airplanes and uh, virtual spacecraft. Um, yeah, Tried to land on you, Chrissy Field. That's right. If you want to uh, uh, learn more about that, you can go to um, blinkingguy.com, which is may not make any sense if you if you <laughs> don't, know, don't know about memes, but just go to it. Yeah, exactly. Just like just, just go to it. Yeah. And it'll all make sense. It'll all make sense. <laughs> yeah. Congrats, um, man. You've raised a, a, an astonishing amount of money. You should be very proud of yourself. Awesome work. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, well, speaking of lots of money, let's go to Sochi. <laughs> Jesus, that's a really, that's a really strong segue. Sochi, we went here first in 2014. Uh, why did we go here? Why did we go here? Probably a lot of money. That in the Winter Olympics in 2014, it was part of a uh, you know massive investment into the what is sort of known as a a summer seaside excursion, a town, and not a particularly large town, but one that like gets inundated with Russians during the summertime because it's beautiful up on the coast. Um, And it's here, yeah, that they built this track, which hasn't been the most popular, let's put it that way. Um, And it's kind of a weirdly built track. It's incredibly flat, which makes sense. It's basically right on the coast. Um... It's actually quite long. It's the fourth longest track on the circuit. It's about 5.8 uh, kilometers. Um, and it's 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 a bit of a strange one. It kind of looks like... The closest one that it used to ever remind me was, was the Valencia Street Circuit, mm-hmm. where it just has lots of these, like, two-meter-high walls all around it. Um it's actually got a lot of fencing, this one, too. Um, and it has a, a sort of a... The third section in this is a, is a pretty, you know, unpassable uh, street circuit, like Monaco-esque, I guess. Um, and and it's not provided great races, to be frank. Like, we've had... It has one weird turn, which I think for the first couple of years, drivers liked because there was this, like, multiple driving lines through it. It's like this crazy... Uh, you know, 180 degrees. It's basically a semicircle after turn two. Um, but the problem is, is that there's hardly any places to overtake here. Um, basically, turn two, which is into that little semicircle, and turn 13, which is another, which is a, a hard braking zone into the aforementioned little sort of street circuit, Monaco-esque section. If, if you're if you're not overtaking there, then you're not overtaking. Um, so. It's not been particularly, I'm not, you know, I think as a viewing viewing experience on television as well, it's one of the poorest because it just looks the same everywhere. It's a, you know, I don't want to be like, <laughs> I was about to say that's very Russian. It, it is a little bit. It's like, it's, it's very concrete and it's, ve- there's like no, there's like weirdly no visual character to any of it, considering it was a track that was built bespoke in 2014. Aside from that little semicircle, it's really difficult to sort of figure out where you are in the track. To that point, like what it reminds me of is um, some of the indie street circuits, I think, have this problem too, because of the yes, high walls. 100%. You're always shooting yeah. down in the tarmac. So like Long Beach, which is one of their classic venues, uh, is, is a classic like street circuit. I don't think photographs very well, despite it being a really picturesque location, because you're shooting down through the, the through the fencing, and it's just cars racing along like baking tarmac. 
Um, and I think Sochi has the same vibe where like you get the aerial shot of, uh, you know, the, the seaside and that's the last you're going to see of it. Uh, cause for the rest <laughs> of the race, you're going to be just like looking down these sight lines, uh, you know, down these long ribbons of concrete and that's it. Uh, yeah, the the real visual dynamism is from that uh, like traffic circle they built around the Olympic Stadium. <laughs> right. Yeah, I think you're right. It's you're right. It's not unique to Russian uh, uh, architecture. It is basically the same problem Indy has. And what I what I think is interesting is that when I think about tracks that were built recently in places that it would have looked quite boring, you think of America and you think of the uh, Circuit of the Americas in Austin, and they did a fantastic job of artificially creating those views. I mean, they built that hill. Like, Turn 1's hill was not there. That was dirt that they piled up there. They created that, you know, topographical uh, change uh, artificially, and that just didn't happen here. Perhaps it's, you know, it's telling of, of how not pop particularly popular this track has been um at least to spectators uh on television in that we won't be having it for very much longer next year is its final race and then we are going to be going to the once again newly built uh well newly upgraded uh agora drive circuit near st petersburg which will be taking over the russian grand prix from 2023 so we never you know i don't want to poo-poo the weekend but you know while i was optimistic about monza i would be you know i looked at the calendar and went oh what do we have this week oh sochi on the other hand this is exactly <laughs> how you sound sounded uh before our last trip to paul ricard that's true that's true i'm like the 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 irish monkey paw we'll have to see how this one ends up well the weather may come into play here Ooh, because have we had a wet sochi well, um, huh. it looks like the temps are going to be not too hot. S- uh, 62 degrees Fahrenheit, 17 Celsius. Uh, a little bit of wind at 10 miles an hour or uh, 16 kilometer- kilometers an hour coming off. Kilometer. Yeah. <laughs> kilometer. <laughs> uh, coming off the, the, the water, but precipitation... For qualifying day, <clears throat> currently sits at 95%. Whoa. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Uh, it's a little bit warmer on race day. Similar wind. Um, and at the start of the race, it's still looking about 75% chance of rain, dropping off to about 40% uh, as time goes on. So, I don't know. I, yeah. I I don't I can't remember a wet Sochi. Maybe maybe we've had one, but um Yeah, it's always this time of year. It hasn't moved. You know, we we a couple of the races the past couple of years have kind of been all over the place. Uh that's not the case here. So I yeah, I think I mean it can take whatever it can get. If you know, Bernie Eccleston wants to you know, do a hex and make it rain, um, then then I'm all for it. Uh one of the interesting things in the Schumacher documentary was watching the um ferrari test track and they're spraying it down did you see have you there's a there's a, a good shot of um of basically sprinklers on the track and i was thinking yeah that <laughs> does look good <laughs> they should do that 
Well, going into Sochi, the driver standings look like this. Max Verstappen is on top with 226.5 points to Lewis Hamilton's 221.5s, just five points back in second place. In third place is Valtteri Bottas with 141, then Lando Norris with 132. In fifth spot, Sergio Perez with 118. Charles Leclerc's got 104. Carlos Sainz has 97 and a half. Daniel Ricciardo has 83, Pierre Gasly has 66, and Fernando Alonso in 10th place has 50. Behind him, we have Ocon with 45, Vettel with 35, Lance Stroll with 24, Sonoda's got uh, 18, George Russell's in 15th place with 15 points, Nicholas Latifi has 7, Kimi Raikkonen has 2, Antonio Giovinazzi has 1, and then Mick Schumacher, Robert Kubica, and Nikita Mazepin have 0. In the constructor standings, Mercedes is on top with 362.5 points to Red Bull's 344.5. McLaren's in third with 215. Ferrari is in fourth with 201.5. Alpine's in fifth with 95. Alpha Tauri has 84. Aston Martin has 59. Williams has 22 points. Alfa Romeo has three. And Gene Haas and team have zero uh, if you want some points of your very own, mm. you can join our Fantasy League uh, using the link in the show notes. And you can also send us an email if you like, shiftf1podcast at gmail.com or f1.cool slash emails if web forms are your thing. Danny, yes. what's going on in email land this week? I'm going to let Josh be the final word on the Verstappen-Hamilton turn two incident mm. at Monza here uh, because okay. he brings up something there was a thread by Will Buxton during the week and he uh, he references it so I thought it was worth uh, chatting about a little bit uh, Josh says I saw this thread from Will Buxton was curious your thoughts and if it changes your opinion on the incident between cars 33 and 44 gents I'll put the tweet there so you can pick it up if you want to uh, Hamilton is shown blue flags and Verstappen isn't totally 100% behind him thus making it that Hamilton has to give a car's width of space because of the blue flags while exiting the pits which he does not also while the data does show that max probably doesn't make the corner turn two if livis gives the space as he was supposed to in that situation max might have enough time to slow the car down probably lose the position because it's so tight and then have the opportunity to pass lewis going down curva grande or della roja Sorry for the long message, but I wanted to hear the expert's opinion. Cheers. Thanks, Josh. So what he's referring to is the blue lights in the pit lane, which is slightly different to blue flags on, well, actually very different to blue flags on the track. Um, obviously, because Hamilton was not a lap down or a lap above uh, Max Verstappen. The blue lights on the exit of the pit lane are there to let the driver exiting the pit lane know that there are cars coming, regardless of where that car is on the track in terms of whether they're racing them or not if they're on a different lap or something like that so the blue flag is there to basically um let them know that the amount of space that they have stop the the space that they need to give them once the once they exit the pit lane and the line the pit lane exit line is there they are under no more obligation as far as i know to then uh allow them any more space they are allowed to drive in that line they're allowed to move over to the racing line as well if they want as long as they don't present a move that is you know against normal racing standards that's fine so the argument here is that because hamilton didn't because he fought into turn one even though he was given blue flags even though as, as i read it, the letter of the law and obviously as the stewards do or um uh or risk or the who are, who is it that does the 
my Michael Massey. Yeah, I guess my. Well, no, not Michael Massey. It's the Stewards, right? The Stewards. Oh, I get, yeah. I was getting caught in the Stewards Marshalls thing again in my head. Oh, right, right. Um, right. <laughs> it's been a while. Uh, as the Stewards also agree that that's not a factor, then I guess the argument is that Hamilton then should have left more space, which then makes the incident a turn to a bit more moot. Um, I think Buxton was, it was an interesting thought experiment for Buxton to basically come up with a reason why it was a racing incident. In the moment, I thought it was a racing incident. I, my gut still makes me feel like it was a racing incident, but also that Max was basically the aggressor in that situation. And if he was smart, would have, well, he is smart, but if he was maybe thinking entirely about every, the broader situation, perhaps he would have ceded the the position because he obviously didn't have enough on Lewis to, to beat him into turn one with race pace. Um, so that's that's my um, feeling with it anyway. Does that change your guys' opinion on the incident at all? Um, no. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I think, you know, Will Buxton says uh, he is shown a blue light and a blue flag is being waved as shown. And he shows a picture there. I'll post this uh, thread in the show notes as well. Um, and he says this is because the onus is on Hamilton not to cede position, but to re-enter the track mindfully. And going by that, the letter of that law, uh, as soon as he re-enters the track mindfully, all bets are off. So, um, I, I don't really think this changes much, um, but I am with you, Danny. I think this is a racing incident. I'm, I'm still kind of surprised that Verstappen got a penalty. Um, yes, me too, yeah. But, you know, what what do you think, Rob? Yeah, I mean, so I think where, the, where, where I find the thread gets like least persuasive is that shot of the entry. And I'm like, Max is really far back there. We're like it. it that, and yeah. that seems to be where the stewards kind of made their call is at that moment where it's like sort of the uh, point of no return on entering this corner complex. At that point, like good judgment probably does suggest like let this position go, but there's a championship on the line between them and they forced the issue. But like, I fundamentally think it was a racing incident. I feel like there was maybe more pressure to do something because it ended up so scary for things that Max had nothing to do with. Um, and that's, that's what kind of frustrates me here is that, um, drivers taking each other out in wheel to wheel racing, that's that's just a part of good motorsports racing. That's the nature of open wheel. There's not much margin for error. In sports car racing, these guys basically trading <laughs> yeah. paint all the way through the corner and around uh, Curva Grande. It doesn't matter. But here in, in any open wheel series, this stuff is real dicey. Um, I think, by and large, this this was a racing incident. The only thing that I think does get, make it a little more complicated is that... Um, Max's radio message right after was so bad. Like it, like it, it sounded bad. Um, and I, I do wonder if there's also just concern that they got to get ahead of how these, um, how this on track dynamic is shaping up and making it clear that, you know, if you, if you don't do enough to avert an incident and it like breaks you in your favor, you'll still, you're still going to get dinged. Uh, somewhere because it did ultimately right. yeah. break in Max's favor. Uh, if Lewis runs away with that position, the championship flips uh, at the end of the race. Um, but I can totally see from like, especially people who are Max fans, how when you look at that and then look at Silverstone where Max went out and it didn't affect mm-hmm. Lewis, right? But Lewis <laughs> right. got the penalty. 
Oh, he did. Sorry, you're right. He did get it. Okay, it just, yeah, it just yeah. happened it's in just, a different. It was context. too early. Yeah. 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 So yeah. that's that's the thing. Like, um, I'm not sure. I I I think they were both racing incidents. I'm like, if I'm the Fred Thompson character in Days of Thunder, I'm not calling a little family <laughs> dinner over this. Uh, <laughs> let them let let those boys race. Uh, thanks for bringing up as well the the uh, the difference between open wheel and something like stock car racing because we did get an email from somebody which I didn't take where they were asking you know why isn't there a bit more Robin is racing in F one and a big part of that is because of the nature of open wheel racing open wheel meaning uh, that the wheels are outside of the chassis of the car not that the steering wheel is outside or anything I used to think that I was like is that what that means um, but with wheels outside you can't exactly like bump into each other and you know it's they're they're a lot more fragile. Uh, Drew, do you want to take this one from Elizabeth? Sure. Elizabeth says, Hi, speedy folks. You commented on being surprised that Ricardo was able to speak some Italian after winning the race and to maybe extend some Australian context to this. Uh, Italian Australians make up around 4.6% of the Australian population, and I grew up in an area of Melbourne with a very high concentration of Italian families and culture. It was very common to see older Italian folks chatting to each other in Italian on the street. The concentration of this community in my area meant that I went to school and have been friends with heaps of Italian-Australian folks. A lot of my friends wouldn't make a show of speaking Italian, but generally knew enough to converse with parents, grandparents, other family members for whom English wasn't their first language. Obviously, this is a pretty common, but by no means universal, situation for migrants of all backgrounds, not just Italian folks. But anyway, yeah, given Ricardo's parents are both Italian, Australian, with his father being born in Italy and coming over at seven years old, I don't think many Australians would be surprised at Ricardo speaking in Italian. Thank you, yeah. Elizabeth. I had, yeah, no context for that. Me neither. I had no idea that that was, that was it was more common. Um, that's According I, to, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, now, now I just want to know how many Irish people are in Australia because I feel like half of my generation ended up there. All my, all my, like, there's so many of my mates I went to school with, um, especially any any of my friends who worked in like construction, because when the Irish, when the bubble burst in Ireland, there was like no jobs for you know any of my carpenter friends or plumbers or sparks. They all, so many of them ended up going. Um, over to Australia and now like my Facebook feed is full of oh I finally got my you know citizenship or I got you know or I'm I'm you know here they all have families that are married it's like it's it's wild um I, I just I, looked up the uh Australian uh, page on the CIA world fact book <laughs> and uh under ethnic groups it says English 25.9 Australian 25.4 which is different, different, I guess, because there's an I other won- category which includes uh, Australian Aboriginal. Um, I so wonder I when they did the cutoff. Of yeah, when these do you become yeah. Australian yeah. or English? <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Yeah, or Irish, because like I- so Irish is the third one, seven point five percent, and then Scottish six point four, and then we got Italian. But I wonder how many of those Irish people are, because obviously the Irish people would have been going there as well and sent there as well. Um, a long t- like back when it was colonized so you know oh. i i wonder also when the cutoff happens of like because like if it's australian quote-unquote and that doesn't mean aboriginal people then so the data represent self-identified ancestry over a third of respondents reported two ancestries okay okay interesting gotcha. uh so- languages interesting a- english is 72.7 
And then we've got Mandarin at 2.5, Arabic say, yeah. 1.4, Cantonese 1.2, Vietnamese 1.2, and then Italian 1.2. Uh, data repre- represents language spoken at home. Okay. I'm actually surprised there's not as much. I thought there'd be more Southeast Asian and uh, and Chinese um, language there. That's that's learn a lot about Australia today. Yeah, on there Shift you go. F1. Um, yeah, we just miss the race so much. We have to get our Australia <laughs> from somewhere. Yeah. It's such a good race. Hopefully, hopefully, you know, I know they're in lockdown as well at the moment, and Sydney especially is having a, a rough time of it. So um, they're obviously taking it as seriously as they can. Well, maybe not as seriously as some Australians would like, but we hope they're uh, they're getting better soon. And um, yeah, it'd be great to have some racing there again. It's it's one of the best. It's a great way to kick off the season. Uh, Rob, can you take this one from Juliana? Yes, I can. Uh, so, Juliana writes, Ever since George Russell first came into my view, admittedly with his takeover of Hamilton's car and near domination in those races, I've been most excited by his achievements at Williams. I started to wonder if he might stay at Williams as they rebuild and make that his life's work, or a start. How unlikely is it that a driver would stick with a team that is non-dominant out of a choice for a different kind of work, and perhaps a more interesting legacy? At this point, obviously, it is not happening, but was the thought completely bonkers? I think it would be so interesting to watch. I'm new to F1, uh, at least in focused interest, and so the closest I've seen to that was Ricardo at Renault, which he abandoned. And I understand that when Hamilton went to Mercedes, they were on the rise, but not yet dominant, so it was a bit of a leap of faith. Uh, so, there are drivers who are associated with, um, you know, creating a dynasty or developing a team like Ferrari were always really generous with credit to Michael Schumacher about like uh, that he was a major part of turning that uh, team into a really consistent dominant powerhouse uh, through the in nineties and, and uh, early two thousands. Um, but here's the, here's the thing. Um, F1 drivers are employees and they are in it for they're in it for championships. They're in it for uh, like uh, plaudits. They're in it for their own personal legacy building. If yeah. you stay at uh, a, a, a team or something and help them build an organization, um, they're not going to they're like they will pay lip service to man. We could have done it without him. He built this team. And then when they're done with you, you'll be shuffled off uh, the stage and someone else brought in and your moment may never have come. Uh, Because for the most part, teams don't really get rebuilt all that much. Like we we see how long it's taken to bring McLaren back and everything. But, um, you know, F1 history is full of teams that never really did, despite a lot of good and hardworking people uh, trying to make them competitive never really panning out like the old Sauber team was in F1 for ages and Sauber turned into Alfa Romeo, but like they were in F1 for ages and were hardly ever, uh, within sniffing distance of the front. And because that's just the nature of the sport. So if you're a driver, um, it would be an enormously low percentage play to think I can build a legacy here by turning like taking this team from the front to the back. So when the offer comes along, you jump the Hamilton Mercedes choice is interesting. Um, yeah, 
that one was a bit more of a leap of faith, but also McLaren was shaky. Like that's the other part of this is McLaren was clearly not where they'd been, uh, you know, 10 years earlier and there was not necessarily a path forward. So while it was a leap, it may have been the best one he could make. As opposed to say a Ricardo who leaving Renault was, you know, maybe, or sorry, leaving Red Bull was, you know, a similar type of leap of faith, maybe, you know, at an ailing, but powerful team. Um, and it obviously didn't work out so much. Um, yeah, I was racking my brains of this. You brought up Schumacher at the start, and I think that was a good example of like his his sort of uh, um, you know end of career at Mercedes. Um, similarly, Felipe Massa Williams was kind of like a you know he kind of I I don't know if he was really trying to get back in a seat. Um, you know, because that that's the thing is that some drivers do it because you know, they can, a bit of loyalty at the end of their career, you know, drive a different way, have a different type of career. Um, but then some of them are doing it because they're trying to get back in a seat. Like um, when Kimi went to Lotus and then eventually, you know, ended up back in Ferrari, right? Because he had put in enough, um, he he'd had a successful time there. Um, so it's, it's yeah, it's, I'm not sure. We, we've seen the sort of good driver at a lower team, you know, uh, but I'm not sure we've seen a driver who is in the sport staying with a team for a super, super long time and not taking other opportunities. You know what I mean? Like the, you know, Nelson Piquet at Benetton or something. It's the, the, you you do see these like matchups or Damon Hill at Jordan where there's like there's like a, a team at a or Schumacher where they're at a team that's better than their ability. But like, it's not like the inverse kind of doesn't happen so much what would be the point you know like you said they're not an f1 because they like driving around in circles they're in it because they want to win yeah yeah great points uh drew do you want to take this one from cesar yes cesar or caesar says hello guys first off thank you for your super entertaining and fun podcast thank you very much um secondly but primarily can you please talk about your awesome theme track i tried shazamming it to no avail it's not only very well produced but it also has a definite racing theme with a vintage touch <laughs> great arrangements and the horns are awesome can you please explain who wrote it if we can find it somewhere to listen free of comment and other details drew you, um, you did total nothing but net on this one because i think thank you, have you. To, you have to pick this in like a day or two <laughs> Yeah, so it's is this has been our theme since we were Alt F one, um, and I think I literally just went to uh, Audio Network, which is what is the service we used at the time, um, and I, I used it uh, when I was doing Cloth Map as well because I loved it so much. It's a royalty free music um, service, and I just started typing in like car words like drive and race and stuff, um, and this it's so it's called Drive On By. Uh, and it is described as uplifting Latin pop with infectious trumpet. <laughs> and the uh, the credits are Barry Gledden, Tim Riley, and Jeff Dale. Although I'm going to go ahead and assume that's Dale. Um, <laughs> Jeff Delay. Yeah. I love it. But yeah, I liked it because, and I think I've talked about this before, the... Um, uh, the the opening like baseline reminds me of an idling engine. Um, oh yeah, that's a good. A similar way that um, the distance by Cake does as well, <laughs> right. um, which is like the best racing song. Well, one of the best. I know, Rob, you're a, you're a big fan of uh, uh, the, the chain. Oh, what's the what's the one? Is it um, 
Uh, is it like Dire Straits or something? Oh, yeah, Mark Knopfler Speedway at Nazareth. Yep. Yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I, uh, UK F1 fans, because of the BBC broadcast. Oh, sure, I'm, the chain. You know, the, yeah, Fleetwood Max, of course, the chain. Well, not the chain, specifically the, <laughs> the guitar the final, solo from the final, chain. Guitar solo, final third of the chain. Um, yeah. Which and has I, a similar liked... thing, right? Because it kind of sounds like a whining V. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I like the trumpets too because. Um, you know, I, I, you know, when we were starting this podcast, I didn't know a whole lot about Formula One, but I did know about Senna. And so I thought, you know, okay, Brazil has a strong history there. Right. Um, I'll go with, yeah, this sort of Latin sounding thing. And uh, it's, it's ener- energetic. It's exciting. So, uh, yeah, if you want to, I'll put a link in the show notes, but it's also just on Audio Network. If you go there and just search Drive On By. Awesome. And the final email from friend of the show, Tohir Tiliev. Tohir says, did you see the sur- this survey from F1? Apparently got served this up. I think it was Motorsport we're doing it. Or, or Motorsport were uh, presenting it to people. Uh, they are running it globally. And I found a section rating the potential, uh, sorry, rating the potential future changes of F1 very interesting. Um Attached are screenshots of the questions I received, sending it from phone Gmail app, so apologies if the formatting is crap it is. I have it on my email. I have to zoom out like 80 times to try and actually get to the pictures, but thank you, Toyer, for sending it in. Uh, I'm going to go through some of these questions, and um, you guys can give me a... a, uh, Is it from Formula One or is it from motorsport.com? It is from Formula One. I think it was being served up on a bunch of racing websites, including motorsport. Um, So it's a global fan survey. And this goes, so we're, we're strongly disagree to a strongly agree, or you can have no opinion if you want as well, okay? So okay. I'll do both of you. Okay, first question. Sprint qualifying events should be introduced for all race weekends? No way. Strongly disagree. Okay, okay. Points should be awarded for qualifying outside of sprints? Strongly disagree. Strong, yeah, same. Okay. God, you guys be pretty conservative about this, all right. Teams can purchase and run custom cars. I'm not quite sure what this question is. I don't know what that means. Strongly agree. (laughs) (laughs) All right. I mean, Uh, look, if someone wants to strap an Acme rocket to the top of their car, who am I to say that that's against the rules or unsafe? Spikes on the wheels. Um uh, Drew's upstanding. I like it. Um, F1 should leave drivers free to race and only hand out penalties for dangerous driving. What? So that means no penalties for anything other than a particularly dangerous maneuver. No, I think you need rules. Yeah, I agree. Okay. Strongly disagree. F1 should, yeah. uh, F1 should freeze car designs for the year so teens cannot upgrade the car. No. Strongly disagree. Okay. F1 should strictly enforce track limits so drivers are punished if they go outside the white lines anywhere. Mm. I guess I'm three of five on that. It's the, the middle. Okay. It says I, neither agree nor disagree. Okay. Yeah. I disagree. Okay. Strongly? Okay. Or not? No, not strongly. No. I think okay. that, but I think there's some places where like, eh, give them a little leeway. Okay, I think okay. I might get. A, I think I get, might get a strongly agree out of this one. Reverse grids should be introduced. I.e., the fastest qualifier starts at the back. <laughs> which how which do you I'm not make sure how that so would work. Would, yeah, how? Why wouldn't people take the quality? That's the that's the thing. Uh, but reverse grids, agree. 
Tr at least try it. Like, I'm, I'm disappointed that they haven't actually just given it a shot, considering everything else they've tried. Uh, okay, a couple more of the good ones here. Drivers should be forced to use all three compounds in every Grand Prix. Hmm. That is so funny. That's a good one, right? <laughs> Again, I'm here for... I'm even in a wet race. <laughs> <laughs> Rob's into it. What do you think, Drew? Yeah, give it a shot. Yeah, okay. Uh, how about this one? Uh, In-race refueling should be reintroduced strongly disagree i i never saw um those days but every every time i see it brought up everyone's just like no dude it sucked no, like it the f this as much tire strategy as there now uh now imagine that like it's even more deterministic based on fuel load and there's both it's more central but also less interesting it sucked hmm. yeah i heard that basically Teams solved it. It was yep. no longer a like a strategic problem. Um, however, that's what IndyCar does. They do refuel, and you can race as hard as you want on your tires. So, right, it's a, it would be a different racing series at that point. And the final question: This was uh, Tori's favorite as well. An additional third driver race should be introduced over a GP weekend. Strongly agree. <laughs> Kubica watch demands. Yeah, the third driver. Do yeah, doesn't that sound fun? Because then it's that's like your sprint idea. Do yes, that. Yes, that's. Oh wow! Yeah, I don't need. It's like a. It's, yeah, it's like a baton right What do you call it? Like a a relay race where you need Kubica to get Russell a good <laughs> qualifying position. Yeah, or like yeah, do that for. The sprint races, and then th whoever, and then cycle in different drivers, and whoever gets the most points in that, I mean, that's that's your next driver. Really messes up the constructors, yeah, or and Formula Two, <laughs> yeah, because then you'd yeah, the, yeah, how you'd need a driver that was good, but obviously not also doing Formula Two. I guess maybe they could. I mean, that's I like that they one. Used, that's funny. The drivers all used to do Formula One and Formula Two. Right, like in the 1670s, right, they're sure. driving like two, three, ra <laughs> two, three series a weekend. <laughs> well, you gotta, you know, doesn't pay that well. You gotta, you gotta put the hours in. Um, thanks uh, to Tara for sending that in. Uh, good to see that <laughs> F1 opens to new ideas, uh, as we've seen all this year. Uh, F1.cool slash emails or shift F1 podcast at gmail.com. Indeed, you could also hit us up on Twitter at Shift F1 Podcast. I'm at Drew Scanlon. That is at Danny O'Dwyer and at Rob Zachme. That's us around the internet. Should we take it around the world, Danny? Let's race around the world. Yeah. U.S. Formula 4 is at Virginia International Raceway for round five. The Camp and World Trucks are at the Las Vegas Motor Speedway for the... <clears throat> Victoria's Voice Foundation 200 presented by Westgate Resorts. Wow. Victoria's Voice. What's that? Is that a charity? Perhaps? Probably. It's a foundation. BB. I like uh, it. Formula 2 and Formula 3 will be supporting Formula 1 in Sochi. The World Superbike Championship will be racing in Hedeth this weekend. The <laughs> IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship is at Long Beach for the Acura GP of Long Beach. 100 minutes 
in parentheses. 100 minutes. Yeah. It's very specific. I like it. It is. It sounds better than one hour and 40 minutes. Um, let's see. The NASCAR Xfinity Series is also at uh, Las Vegas Motor Speedway for the Alsco Uniforms 302. I got nothing. Two exactly. I looked up Victoria's um, Choice to see if I could find out what it was, and I just ended up on Victorian Choice, which is a website where you can buy incredibly detailed Victorian dresses. So okay, check what are they going for? Um, like uh, at, at reasonable, I would say 175 here for one of them. Okay, uh, you can get a nice corset here uh, for 235 dollars. Um, can I? Yeah, it looks quite Victorian. I will say, mm. yeah. Uh, IndyCar is racing also in Long Beach for the Acura Grand Prix of Long Beach. The Motocross Grand Prix is at... Whoa, where is this? Okay. Circuito Internazionale Motocrossita di Mantova in Mantova, Italy. Beautiful. For the Monster Energy MX of Nations. Nothing says Italy like Monster Energy. Because <laughs> it's green, uh, I guess. Yeah. Um... We also have NASCAR. Oh my. Where we're going? Oh, we in Italy. Yeah. Nope. Are we at Long Beach with everyone else? We're in Vegas, baby. Oh yeah, Victoria. I love my wife's gonna get a Victorian dress. Maybe I'll get myself a Victorian dress. <laughs> and we get the the Chidler the Chid, Chidlins will get some Victorian dresses too. We'll go all Victorian. Ain't Chitlins food? I don't know. I'm a fake American, Rob. <laughs> don't tell immigration. Oh, wait. Not true. They can't do You're it a real now. American, man. This is my new accent. Chitlins. <laughs> uh, anyway, NASCAR is racing the South Point 400. Okay. Chitterlings so are a culinary dish usually made from the large intestines of a hog, though the intestines huh. of cattle and other animals are sometimes used. The dish is also called chitlins. Chitlins. Well, I'm bad at American Southern food. I once had... um. What do you call what? What's the sort of like porridge looking thing you have at breakfast? Oatmeal. No, but like it's not actually Lucky porridge. Charms. Grits? grits. Grits. I had grits at a at a at a like a diner in Tennessee. Um, outside Stand Knoxville. Record there. Did they no, use it was, instant grits it was, or old or old fashioned? I couldn't tell you, but I didn't know that like you're supposed to put stuff in it, like. You're not just supposed to eat the grits as they are. You're supposed to like mix flavors in and stuff. Is that right? Like cheese and yeah. crawdads, like stuff. Yeah, crawdads. So mm-hmm. it's crawfish. Is that what they call mm-hmm. them? Crawdads. Yep. I love the it. The way I remember it was like it's served on a platter with like your other breakfast foods, and so like things get oh. sort of mixed in as you go. It's like a gravy. Yeah, kinda, but it, I'm not an expert here because like I lived just north, like literally. 40 minutes south of me, diner served grits, <laughs> but I didn't go there. The hard lines that they have on the East Coast, I wasn't ready for. The sort of Mason-Dixon of foods or, or, or gas stations. Well, I, was, I was from Indiana, so that's that's the thing. It's like right. uh, Indiana is, northwest Indiana is about as Yankee as you can get. Uh, right. Central to south, southern Indiana, that's the south. I went back wow. to, when I was in Maryland a couple of weeks back, I went to a Wawa because I missed it. That's the that's the culture right there. Get what that is a Wawa? Wawa? Wawa is the is the the sort of um, gas station food hall du jour in okay. the, the Maryland DMV area. Is your Seven Eleven equivalent? 
Uh, but specifically a gas station. Like it's not. There's not just. It's not like a corner shop or anything. It's only. Okay. But it has. But they like, got like hot know, dogs on rollers and stuff. Yeah, all that stuff. But like kind of big mm. and nice. And then they have okay. what's the one they have in Philadelphia that people don't like in Pittsburgh, whatever it is. There's another one up there. Sheets. That's it. Sheets is the one that they like. Sheets people so are like, like fanatical. Yeah, Sheets is good though. I shouldn't say that because I was living in Wawa country, but here I am. Uh, but they were they were both uh, pretty good. And then the, the the craziest one I ever went to was the one in Texas. Is it? I think it's called Buckeyes, which is like a. I went to one between Austin and Dallas, and it is the biggest gas station I have ever seen in my life. It was like there was maybe a hundred pumps. The Texas promise, uh, right there. It was insane. <laughs> and then the 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 place Buckeye, I think it was called Buckeyes, 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 was like it was like a supermarket sized like place and it sold like it had i think the the logo was like a beaver or something so they sold like t-shirts with the beaver and like it was just it was ridiculous yeah the 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 fuel wars i shouldn't have i should have seen it coming but we live in mad max apparently and all the gas stations are having culture wars it's great i love the one is happening this weekend Sorry. <laughs> uh, Friday, September 24th, Free Practice 1 kicks off at 4.30 a.m. Eastern Time on ESPN2, followed by Free Practice 2 at 8 a.m. on ESPNU. Saturday, September 25th, Free Practice 3 is at 5 a.m. on ESPN2, followed by Qualifying at 8 a.m. also ESPN2. And Sunday, everyone, September 26th, 8 a.m., Eastern Daylight Time on ESPN2. The Deuce. Wake up for Sochi? Do I wake up for Sochi? That's the real question. That mm. might be an F1 TV on-demand race. Mm-hmm. I think so, too. Yeah, because it's 5 a.m. over here, Danny. That's a lot. That's early. Yeah. Uh, final thoughts, Danny, going into Sochi. I'm trying to figure out which one of these gas stations is my favorite actually i'll i'll okay. I'll, I'll come back on that next week and uh and rob final thoughts uh don't put your chitlins in a victorian dress it will not improve the flavor <laughs> okay good advice uh if you'd like to support the show and get access to all of our bonus episodes and the official shift f1 discord you can do so over at patreon.com slash shift f1 have a good race weekend everyone we will see you all next week meow meow